Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Passion drive and patience what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Boston Loose Baseball, episode 87. Another solid start for Jackson Rutledge, Lane Thomas, did something that only a couple nationals have ever done before. And we got some organizational award winners this season doled out. All coming up on Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode 87. Bustin' Bustin' Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode 87. Alongside Toby Altizer, I'm Grant Paulson, producer Darius Dameron, making the whole thing. Toby, what's up? Nothing much. Last week of the regular season. It's crazy, Grant, that we're already here. And, I mean, I'm still looking at win number 70, still just one win away. So if they could get to that mark, they got five more games to do it. So find a way to get there. But it's crazy that we're already to the end of the regular season like this. Yeah, there's a couple things I think still on the line. They're definitely going to win another game and get to 70. I'd like to see him, you know, get two or three of these final five would be nice. Depends on, you know, how much Atlanta's got on the line. I can't imagine there'll be much in their final few games. They might be lining things up for the postseason, which would help. But also, as someone who grew up an Orioles fan and still you know, as an American League club, kind of roots for them to do well, I won't be in this camp. But I know that a lot of Nationals fans and a lot of Orioles fans hate each other and that the organizations are often at odds, it would be a big deal, I think, for some people in the Nats fan base if they could take a couple from the Birds right when they're trying to win the American League East and knock them into wildcard contention. Now, again, as someone who wants good things to happen for the Orioles, I'm not one of those people, but I know that there's plenty of folks in the fan base that we speak with and to with all of these podcasts that would get a lot out of that. 
Yeah, and if you're an O's fan, you know, you cheer for them still. you obviously still a Nationals fan. Listen to this podcast. Like, they've got some of their guys going. Like, Bradish is going, comes in with a 301 ERA on Tuesday as we record. Wednesday, they got Grayson Rodriguez on the hill. So, and he's been really good lately. So, it's going to be a tough task. But, yeah, I mean, I think if you're a Nationals fan and you despise the O's, you know, the O's have something to play for right now. They're fighting down to the end here, and the Nationals – I mean, outside of getting to win number 70, it's just kind of finishing up the regular season for them. But they got a chance. Josiah Gray on the mound making probably his last start of the year. I mean, can he come out and have a a good outing? We'll see. I mean, I'm excited to see what they can do over the last week. Because like you said, with the Braves, you know, I was down in the clubhouse and there were some guys talking, uh, some of the reporters and basically saying, the vibe around the Braves right now is we have the most meaningless week of baseball left. Can we just get this thing over with and go play playoff baseball? And that's kind of what it is for the Braves. So maybe you go down there and win a couple and just end the season on a high note because I, you know, I, this season overall for the Nationals has been really fun. And this last month has been a little bit of a slog. But at the same point, if you can finish on a high note and just remember how, how much they've overachieved this season, it's a good thing. Yeah, they'll have been earned, to your point, with the pitchers on the mound for the Birds. And I, I like that, right? You're going up against a team that needs to win with their top pitching on the hill. And and I think it's nothing – if nothing else, it's a good experience. I, I don't know if I would call it practice, but it's it's important for this young Nats team to play these kinds of games, right, where maybe you don't have the same urgency or that, that same necessity to win, but your opponent does, and they're going up against guys that are going to be starting games – one and two potentially for Baltimore in a division series or an LCS if they're able to get there. So I think all those things are good. Uh, All right, let's talk organizational award winners. They doled out those awards on Friday night. In fact, 106.7, the fan night on Friday, we were down on the field while they were giving those awards out. And we can talk a little bit about our experience that night. But let's not bury the lead. Kyle Finnegan, named the pitcher of the year. Uh, I had a vote and voted for him as my pitcher of the year. Uh, I think this was kind of a no-brainer. The 32-year-old, 65 games. His ERA of 374 actually is a a little bit uh, misleading now because he had one blow-up inning. It was actually a lot better than that for much of the season. But 67 innings, only 63 hits, 61 strikeouts, a 250 average against. You know, he's going to end up pitching – in close to 70 appearances for the Nationals and kind of circuit to circuit was their most reliable reliever this season with 27 saves in an elevated role. Uh, There was a lot to like about Finnegan's year, who was just kind of not only durable, but I think really trustworthy and reliable for the vast majority of this season. Yeah, I mean, up until you got until September and, you know, the first couple outings of the year. So if we just go from his fourth outing all the way up until the start of September, he had an ERA of 192. I mean, this is a guy that has played super well all season long. And to me, like, I I don't disagree with it at all. I just kind of wish that it would have been a way that give it to Josiah after he had an all-star first half, but he struggled so much. And the guy that's been the most consistent all throughout the year is Kyle Finnegan. Like you said, basically every single time he goes out there, you feel good about it. And I think I can safely say that I was wrong when I talked about some of these pitchers earlier in the season, especially around the trade deadline, I was like, look, if you can trade one of the guys, I don't see these guys being helpful arms as a setup guy or a closer on a World Series or a championship ball club. And I think Finnegan could be that. Like, I think he's 
I don't know if you want him as the closer, but I think he can be a reliable arm in the back end of a bullpen because you saw that for a long stretch of this season. And, you know, I think the la- the struggles over the last month have basically been some of the same stuff that we've talked about with other guys. It's going for the long season, and he's one of the few guys that they trust in the back end of that bullpen, so he gets used in every close game. And I think you're starting to see him get a little bit tired. But, you know, if you had some more options and all those sorts of things where you would have with a, a good ball club, I think you can conserve some of his energy, and I think he would have been efficient to the end. So I love the fact that Finnegan gets some recognition because this is a guy that hardly ever gets recognized. Yeah, I agree. I didn't give it too much thought to go elsewhere, but I will say that as I dug deeper into the numbers when I was voting on this, I would say that his season, like the underlying numbers are worse than his performance, if that makes sense. So, like, he has a 3.74 ERA. His fielding independent pitching is 4.49, as an example. Um, you, you look at his strikeout rate, and it has been as high as 10 per nine. And last year was 9.5 per nine. It's down to 8.2 per nine this year. His walk rate was actually up a hair. Like, I think it's pretty easy to make the case that he actually had a better season for the Nationals last year, oddly. It didn't really feel that way because his stretch of a few months was so dominant. But the, the bread of this sandwich, like the beginning of the year and the end of the year, was rougher. And I just chose to, you know, the, the 90% of the season there in the middle, the meat and cheese, so to speak, I focused on that. And I think that's where he was at his best. You know, the, the start and finish is kind of why the numbers skewed maybe a little worse from an underlying standpoint than last year. But he throws the ball hard, fastball velocity, 93rd percentile. He gets a lot of ground balls because he's got – you know, some plane and he could throw low in the zone. Uh, ground ball percentage was 77th percentile. He, he releases the ball out toward home plate with extension. I think uh, he's better than basically three out of every four pitchers in terms of extension in baseball. The issue for him has long been that he gets barreled, right? His average exit velocity, believe it or not, was like first percentile. I mean, guys really hit the ball hard off of him. Expected ERA was 31st. Expected batting average was 25th percentile. He doesn't really get a lot of chase. His chase rate was 8th percentile. So this is not someone that I would want closing for the Nationals, to your point, when they are winning a World Series. Uh, I still think your point from earlier in the year is probably correct. Um, maybe he could be a you know a right-on-right setup man or something like that, or certainly a seventh-inning arm. There, there's value to him. He's a very solid reliever, but I'm not ready to say that like he should be a fixture long term, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think like, you know, with relievers, it's so finicky not to try and play off of his name, but they're just so finicky. One year they got it next year. They don't have it. And so, you know, the results this year were mostly good. Like you said, maybe if you take off September and the first couple in April, you've got a really good closer. You've got a really good reliever. This is a guy that for a majority of the season was probably one of the better closers in the national league if you just look at his statistics the peripherals weren't great but you know the results on the field were so i think you gotta reward a guy for having a year like that it's kind of what we talked about with lane thomas who we're going to get into here in a second but it's kind of like what we talked about with lane thomas not being named an all-star who knows if he has a season like this again you got to recognize these kinds of guys that might only have one-off seasons like that you got to recognize them when they have them so that they you know they feel appreciated 
You mentioned Lane Thomas. That's a nice transition into the organizational hitter of the year for the second time in as many seasons. Last year, it was kind of by default, though, I thought. Like, there was nowhere else to go, and it kind of, you held your nose a little bit, and you kind of cringed, and you said, oh, Lane Thomas, I guess. This year, uh, well-earned and a legitimately good offensive season. Uh, average is sitting at 270. OPS right now is at 791, about 70 points above league average. 27 home runs. You know, he didn't hit one in April, remember. He, he didn't hit his first home run of the season until, like, week number five. So if you go back and replay April, it's probably like a 32-homer, 93-RBI or so season for Lane Thomas, which is impressive. And it comes along with 20 stolen bases as well. I mean, if you go back in the annals of – you know, Nats baseball uh, and, and look for guys who had 25 homers and stole 20 bases. I'm pretty sure it's just Ian Desmond. Trey Turner never did it. Uh, Bryce Harper never did it. Uh, Alfonso Soriano, who went 40-40, is the other one in year two for the Nationals. But it was Desmond and, and Soriano, I think, when I looked this up in terms of 25 homer, 20 stolen base seasons. I don't know if I said that. I may have said Ian Desmond twice, but Trey Turner uh, is the one I meant that that didn't do it that you would have thought might have. So quite an accomplishment for him to hit 25 homers, steal 20 bags. Now you could talk about the difference in, in steals this year and how much easier it is to do, and and that's fair. But, uh, wow, really, really cool and impressive to see that uh, he went 25 and 20. Yeah, I mean, just so far in the season, he's already played five more games than he did last year. He's got 10 more homers. He's got 33 more RBIs, 12 more stolen bags. And this is a guy that's 27 now, going to be 28 next year. And, you know, that's kind of when you start thinking guys start hitting their prime. And now he's really getting to play the full slog of games. He played most of them last year, and now he's kind of getting to do that on a regular basis. And I think you're starting to see the guy that the Nationals traded for, a guy that can be a good player. Maybe he's not going to be an all-star. I think he could have been this year, but maybe he's not going to be an all-star caliber player. Maybe he's not going to be someone that has to stick in the outfield when Cruz and those guys come up. Maybe he ends up just being a fourth outfielder, but he makes you make decisions is what's something I've talked about this year. I want you to have to make difficult decisions. And I think that Rizzo is going to have to make one with Lane Thomas. Is he a part of the future? Is he a part of an outfield when some of the younger guys come up? Does he get bumped to the bench? Do they trade him? And it's something where he's come out and played really well this season. And I love the fact that he's been able to play basically every single day. He's played 151 games and he's got a good arm in right field. He's been solid. I mean, he's had, you know, little stretches where he struggled, but for the most part, I'd say he's been pretty solid all season long. Like he's, He's had little streaks, no doubt about it. There's some where he just gets absolutely crazy hot and you can't seem to get him out, and then sometimes he goes a little bit cold. But I think the thing for Lane Thomas this year that's been the difference is he hasn't had the 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 cold streaks last like a month at a time, which has happened in the past. So I think you've seen him grow. I think the question going off of this, Grant, is you know he's going to be a part of the organization next year. We'll see what happens with some of these young outfielders. Is this something that he can do again? Because – 27 homers, 85 RBIs. Like you said, his April was a little bit weird. Maybe he ends up with 30 homers if he has a better year or maybe he has a last uh, a hot last week and finishes with 30 homers. But is it something where you could see him being above 25 homers and having 80-plus RBIs again next year? Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. 
With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. So it's a really good question. A couple of things. I mean, number one, you mentioned the outfield work that he did. 17 outfield assists. Think about how much added value that is, Tobe, at cutting down base runners after hits or mm-hmm. you know, getting guys who are advancing after fly balls. A couple of guys you know, banged at the plate, right? Tied for the major league lead with Nolan Jones of the Colorado Rockies. No one has thrown out more runners. And behind those two guys, Jones and Thomas, Ian Happ is like five outfield assists away. Fernando Tatis is six. No one else is within seven. Acuna's got 10. So really an incredible year in terms of his accuracy, his arm strength, throwing guys out. Um, So I think that is maybe where you you start the conversation. Because I've even thought at times, I'm like, well, someone maybe, when you have everyone get to the big leagues next year, could just move to first base of that outfield mix. And you start to think about who that could be. And, you know, and it's like, well, you wanted Lane Thomas in the outfield uh, making plays and throwing the baseball as kind of a starting point to the conversation based on 17 outfield assists. So I, I, I think with the young guys coming up, you cross that bridge when you get there. You just don't know. Does someone get hurt? Does someone uh, not get to the big leagues till August? Right. Like he's going to be in, in the major league outfield on opening day. We know that. Then when does Dylan Cruz graduate, who finished the year in double-A? When does James Wood graduate, who's going to be in triple-A probably at the start of the year? When does, um, you know, whether it's Dalen Lyle or, or any of the other outfielders that are coming, like start to move up the pike a little bit? Jacob Young presumably is a guy that could start in the outfield on opening day and become a fourth outfielder as those guys graduate. Do you add a bat? Like, do they go... God forbid, spend a little bit of money and bring in a run producer who can hit a couple home runs and drive in some runs to play, you know, one of those other spots in April and May. Uh, And and maybe it's someone that can move to first base when Cruz and and Wood get there. Like these are all things that interest me. Uh, But having said that, uh, I think it's very easy to just kind of put him in pen on opening day uh, in the outfield for the Nationals, knowing He'll be back after the second straight year where he was their organizational uh, big league player of the year offensively. The one thing I wanted to say about Thomas, though, is I do wonder a little bit, and I want to bounce this off you. So his second half was not nearly as good as his first half. And if if this was, you know, I'm just picking a guy, but like Aaron Judge or uh, Mookie Betts or something, you just go, oh, well, it wasn't as good as his first half. But because we all kind of thought he was playing above his head and he was going to crash back down to earth, you kind of wonder about that a little bit. 
Like his post all-star break OPS is actually a little bit below big league average. It's right around 715, I think. Um, his batting average since the all-star break is 224. Now he has hit for power, 13 home runs and 36 driven in in about 65 games. But his average has been down almost 75 points. His OPS has been down uh, from 840 to 715. And so I guess my, my long-winded question here is, uh, is that also some indication of, like, over 162, he can't play at that level that we kind of became accustomed to? Like, th- that could be revealing in some way. Or was it just a stretch that he had because it's baseball? Is he a 2020 guy every year? Maybe. There's t- plenty of value in that. But is he more, you know, a 260 hitter than 280? Is he more a 740 OPS guy than 800? Like, I think that that, those are fair questions to ask. The bottom line is he raked against lefties, and here's what I'm sure about. I would use that guy in the future against left-handed pitching as part of a platoon at the least, right? He hit 325 with a 940 OPS against left-handed pitching this year, dude. Like, you look at his, his, he slugged 570 off lefties. He was one of the best hitters in baseball against southpaws. Like, that's what I'll put in Sharpie right now is that as long as you want him around here getting ABs against lefties, I'm cool with it. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a guy that's going to be a lefty killer. So, you know, he can stick around for that. To your question about, you know, the second half and some of the struggles, you know, we talked about his difference in approach. And part of the reason that I started to feel a little more confident in him as a player way back in May, I believe, when he first started to hit the home runs was – you know, him talking about his difference in approach and trying to hit the fastball and kind of reacting to the breaking ball. And Davey talked about that with some confidence. And both of those guys seem really thrilled with this. I don't know if it's a breakthrough kind of thing, but they both seem like, all right, maybe we've found something with Lane Thomas. And, you know, I thought he had an all-star first half because of it. Obviously, major league pitchers have adjusted. And in the second half, they found some things. You know, the batting average down around 220 in the second half. You know, I think he's not a 280 hitter. I don't think what he did this year is going to be something he does again next year. But I think the home runs are still going to be there because he has about the same number of home runs in the second half as he did in the first half. You know, the stolen bases, like we talked about with the bigger bags, whatever with those, maybe it's still there because of the bigger bags or it maybe it changes. I don't know, but I'm not as worried about the stolen bags, but I think the power is still going to be there. Like you said, I think he's still going to be able to hit against lefties, but I think, you know, in reality, this is a guy that can hit 20 homers for you. He's probably going to hit around 250, and you can live with that. Like, that's a guy that can stick around and be a platooner against lefties, or that's a guy that can be your right fielder when some of the young guys come up, or he can be your fourth outfielder if you just need a guy coming off the bench. Like, I think Lane Thomas has solidified himself as a part of this team going forward, and I think that he can give you solid production. Maybe he doesn't give you what he did this year because this year has been a really good year for him. And, you know, that's, again, why we're talking about crediting these guys when they have years like this. I mean, is Lane Thomas going to be able to go 27 homer, 85 RBI, 280 hitter again? I don't know. I'd love to be wrong and say that he can do it again. I don't know that he will, but credit to him for having a heck of a year this year. Well said, Tobe. Well said. All right, let's get to the organizational good guy, and I'll let you lead off here and, and I'll come in after you. Uh, Josiah Gray. I say the good guy award. That's what we call it in football. I think it was the 
maybe the media award, or I don't know exactly what they called it, but uh, essentially it was given to the player who's most accommodating and, you know, pleasant uh, and professional with the, the media. I, I summed up, it's it's the nice guy award. Uh, Josiah Gray won the award. Yeah, and he's just such a great guy in the clubhouse. You know, he, he's been someone that's obviously among his teammates is a great leader. He's always super nice with the media. He's never barking at people. He's never giving short answers. He's insightful. He does a great job of handling everything. He's just professional about everything. And on top of that, he's had a, a really good year. At times, he's struggled. And, you know, that's where you can kind of see where these guys win awards. He's really struggled since the All-Star break. And he hasn't turned into a curmudgeon at his locker. You know, he's still someone that's willing to talk and willing to work through things and understands how things work. And so it's a credit to him. I mean, this is a guy that's very mature and acts like it in the clubhouse. He's a good leader. And so I, I think this is well-deserved. You wish it were more something on the field for his merit, but I think for him, what he's been able to do in that clubhouse, he's one of those leaders and being a good guy and making sure that he works with the media and showing some of the younger guys how to go about it and go about your business every single day, especially among starting pitchers. It's a credit to him, and I'm glad he gets rewarded with it. Yeah, and obviously made some strides on the mound this season, most notably in the first half, went on a great run and ended up at the All-Star game. And that's kind of my Josiah Gray memory in terms of, you know, his, him being a good dude this season. Uh, he's come on the show a few times. We've had him on the podcast, but he comes on with Danny and I in D.C. on our daily show quite a bit. Great interview. Very, very warm and accommodating and answers everything. And just, you know, a lot of guys give you stock answers and they're kind of short. And, you know, it's almost like they do the same interview every time they've ever done an interview. <laughs> and he's really thoughtful, which I've always appreciated. He's one of the best guests in D.C. sports as far as I'm concerned. Uh, for radio interviews, and I mean that. But on top of that, uh, I saw him out at the All-Star game and, and caught up with him, you know, in the uh, dugout. And here he is during batting practice. He could be out there hanging out with a bunch of big league All-Stars, and he took the time to sit down with me and, and do an interview. And I just remember how excited he was to be there and how it really was oozing off of him, like almost the vibes you get of a kid at somewhere, you know, where he was just so pumped and i i remember saying to him like man I'm, I'm really excited for you i'm really proud of you like this is awesome and I, I don't know it's one thing to just say oh thanks a lot but like he earnestly was appreciative of, of hearing that and you, you could just tell with people when they're genuine he's also done a lot of really good work at the nats youth academy and remember like he even had his own uh bad moment this season where he yelled out to the outfield and jacob young and immediately apologized after the game in the clubhouse if you remember that and that was like so uncharacteristic and it was stunning that it was Josiah Gray doing it. Like you, you just don't see that. And it's, it's, you know, his frustrations of weeks and weeks boiled over. But the, the reason that was such a big story and deal was it was not the norm. And it's a great example of, you know, track record mattering. People know what you're about. They know what kind of guy you are. No one's going to judge you by your worst moment when that's not how you typically act. Uh, and, uh, I just I, I'm happy for him, it, not only the success he had for that major stretch of this season, but hopefully he goes back to the well. He he now knows what works, what doesn't. When I was going well, what did it feel like? What was I doing? And frankly, I just think there's a mechanical you know, adjustment that's probably needed to get him back on track. And it might mean that the car's got to go back into the garage to do it, you know, which which is the offseason. You can't really do that between starts necessarily. 
Yeah, and I think for him, it's still just finding that perfect mix of pitches because his fastball is clearly not it. He still gets hammered on the fastball, and he's thrown it less and less. But it's just finding that perfect mix so he doesn't walk so many guys. You know, that's the main thing is increasing the command so that way that he can stick inside the zone and he's not giving up so many walks. But finding ways to make it work, whether it's keeping the sweeper, whether it's adding in a changeup, whatever the case may be, I think for him, getting the offseason, go work on the mechanics like you were saying, find a way to get back to what he was doing earlier in the year, and then find a way to still improve. Because like we talked about earlier in the year, I think some of the things like we talked about with Finnegan, his numbers were good, but his peripherals weren't great. Now it's about finding a way to make the numbers good as well as the peripherals. Make it so that you're not walking so many guys. Make it so you're not giving up home runs like he was last year, and he did a great job of improving on that this year. So just finding ways to keep growing. And you know this is why we talk about him not having maybe the highest ceiling, but he's still someone that goes out there and battles, and he's still someone that goes out there every single time, and you feel like you got a chance. So I've really liked what he's done this year, and it's it's cool to see – I think really the three leaders of the team this year, you would say maybe if you wanted to throw in a guy like a CJ or maybe if you want to throw in a Cabert Ruiz. But I think overall, if you were to ask who maybe the three best players or the three leaders of the team were this year, I think most people would throw in Kyle Finnegan, Lane Thomas and Josiah Gray. So to see those guys recognized, it's well-deserved. See you later. There was no award for, you know, most improved uh, prospect or, you know, most uh, improved like stock within the organization. But Jackson Rutledge would have been in the running for that. I want to pivot to him for a second. You know, this guy pitched in a playoff game at low A ball in Fredericksburg last year at the end of the season right now. And now he's pitching at the major league level uh, after having a, a really nice year. They started him at double A moved him to AAA, spent the year at those two affiliates. He now has made three big league starts. Uh, and it's not like the, the, he's been dominant or some national story, right? His ERA is six because the first one was rough, but that's a little misleading. He's only got eight strikeouts in 15 innings, which is continuing over a trend from the minor leagues where he doesn't really strike a lot of guys out or miss a lot of bats. Here's the good news, though. After his... Six and a third, two-run outing against the White Sox, where I thought he was really good. He pitched against the Braves' A lineup on Sunday in day one of a doubleheader, and he was very solid again. He, he allowed three hits and one run over five innings, Toby. Four strikeouts and two walks. Um, they got a win, as you uh, can imagine that they would. Uh, excuse me, the, I should say, the Nationals got a win, as you'd imagine, that they would win a starter. <laughs> Pitch as well. I'm not saying before the game you would have imagined that they won. But the Braves end up taking the second game of the doubleheader. But all that said, I mean, the 24-year-old threw two starts in a row now, allowing three runs over close to 12 innings. He's pitching his way into real consideration. He's going to be 25 next season of maybe breaking camp with the club and, and maybe a rotation spot after two straight good major league outings. And this is why I liked having him come up at the end of the season and get some work in with the major league club is, you know, there's going to be a bunch of guys fighting for those last couple rotation spots, or at least going to be in the consideration. And I think Jackson Rutledge needs to be in that conversation. And so getting that first stinker out of the way is nice because now he's had two good outings back to back to build off of. And 
We'll see what he does in his next outing. But I've really liked what I've seen from him. He's a guy that we got to see in double A, and he pitched well that night as well. So I, he's got the stuff. It's interesting to see what he can be. He's not going to be, again, he's not the frontline guy. I think that's the one thing if you wanted to nitpick with the Nationals organization right now as a whole up and down the minor leagues and with the major league club. I don't know if they have the true number one ace, unless you want to classify Mackenzie Gore as that. And if they have Mackenzie Gore as that, they don't have a true number two behind that. Cause I still feel like Cavalli's more of a, a three, maybe he can be a two, but I think they're kind of missing that. But the nice part, hopefully you can sign a guy to fill that role, but you've got an abundance of pitchers that can fill in the middle to back end of the rotation, Jackson Rutledge being one of them. So I think when you look at the organization as a whole, they've got good pitchers for the back end there. And Jackson Rutledge is going out there and getting some work at the major league level and showing you that he's ready to go. I think he's showing you that he can be someone that can stick in the rotation to start next year, or maybe it's something where he doesn't start up with the big league club. He gets called up later on in the year, but if nothing else, you've got an abundance of guys that are going to be pushing each other for the back end of the rotation and maybe in the bullpen as well. Yeah, there's now competition, which is a really good thing. So tell me who I'm forgetting here, because I just kind of threw this list together off the top of my head without really digging into it much. But um, here's kind of what I'm thinking. Uh, For the rotation next year, you've got Gore, Gray, and Corbin as locks, you know, Corbin will be going into the final year of his deal, I guess, unless they moved him to the bullpen, but I don't see that happening because he eats innings and, you know, frankly was better this year than he's been the last couple of years. The question marks I would have in terms of the big league rotation are Trevor Williams, who is going to be under contract, but you could easily move to the pen or do something else with. And the other guy would be Kate Cavalli based on his health. Uh, He got hurt in spring training, 12 month recovery. Like, is he ready at the start of the year? I would say, Maybe you have him rehab and kind of have a long spring and then pitch a little bit in the minors. And rather than, you know, assuming that he'll be in the rotation in April, maybe he gets there in in late April or May or something. But like those are the two question marks. So potentially you could say just hypothetically, if Williams is in the rotation and Cavalli is back, that Gore, Gray, Corbin, Williams and Cavalli are the, the rotation this year, which is kind of how they came into the season. But then I've got two other tiers of guys. The maybe not highest end prospects, but guys that have pitched in the big leagues and proven that they're worth consideration. So to me, and you tell me who I'm forgetting here, but I've got Jake Irvin, Jackson Rutledge, and Yoan Adone, who are like younger, big league ready, slash have spent time in the majors starters. Then you've got the guys in the system who have pitched at least to the double-A level, who with a really good spring could like blow you away and be in the mix maybe. And that group includes... I'm going to throw Cole Henry in there still. I know he's dealt with all kinds of injuries, but I love Cole. Um, Maybe he's a reliever moving forward. I don't really know the future with him and in terms of role, but I think the guy can pitch. Um, DJ hers. They got from the Cubs was incredible in the second half for them at double a, which means he's closer to the big leagues than we think. Uh, I would say the same thing about Mitchell Parker, who's thrown really, really well and just finished the year at triple a he'll be in big league spring training. And then Dustin Signs, who was their, one of their minor league pitchers of the year, uh, just an awesome season, mostly, uh, or half of it at least at double A. He's a little further away than the other guys. But I don't know if, if I forgot anyone. Again, this is all just off the top here, but Gore Gray Corbin are in. Williams Cavalli are in if 
in Williams' case, he's around and hasn't been moved to the pen. Cavalli's case, healthy. Then the next group that would be competing for spots would be Rutledge, Irvin, Adone, as in terms of like first responders. And then I've got the guys that might be further away: Henry because of injuries, Hers, Parker, and Signs. Am I missing anybody? No, I don't think you're missing anybody. But I think with if I had to guess what the rotation is going to be to start the year next year, opening day, it's going to be pretty much the same as last year. But Trevor Williams, in my opinion, should get bumped to the pen as soon as Cavalli's ready. Uh, Jake Irvin, I, I guess it'd be different because I think Jake Irvin needs to be in the initial rotation. So I guess in that sense, maybe you move one of the guys. But well, I, Cavalli, I think- if Cavalli is not ready, which I think it sounds like we both think is probably the case, then Irvin's got a spot with yeah. even if with and, Williams. And that's kind of where I'm at, where I think that with Cavalli, there's no point rushing. I don't we talk about the improvement this team has made. Maybe I'm wrong about next season, but I still don't think they're a playoff team just yet. We'll see what moves they make. You know, maybe they go sign a couple guys and that's a different story. But I don't think they're a a playoff team just yet. I think they're maybe getting on the precipice and still growing. But in that case, I'm not going to send Cavalli out there early for no reason whatsoever. I'm going to give him as long as he needs. And so once he's ready to go, maybe Trevor Williams moves back to the pen. But I think this is something where it's encouraging for the Nationals because if you want to don, he's been so weird to watch this year where sometimes he looks like the best pitcher at baseball and can get everyone out. And then the next outing, he gets into the stretch and can't get anyone out. So it's odd to watch with him. And, you know, we've seen some good things with Rutledge and obviously Jake Irvin's done a lot of good things. Ideally, you'd love a situation where you can just go with five of those guys and mix in Corbin every now and then. And I think Corbin's going to stick in the rotation because with the young guys, you know, we talk about a good outing from Rutledge. It was five innings. You know, you still need someone to go out there and give you six innings, seven innings. And not to say we don't care about Corbin, but, you know, if Corbin has to go out there and wear it for seven innings just to help out the bullpen. Sometimes you got to have a guy that can do that. And Corbin's shown that he can do that. So I think if you look at the young guys and what they have, I think that very maybe hers out of that other group could still come up. And I don't know if I see him as ready to be a starter just yet. So maybe they want to keep him in the minors for a little longer to see if he can continue to work on that command. But if they needed reliever help or something like that, just wanted to get him in the big leagues, I think he could help as a left-handed reliever. But I think it's a good spot to be in for the Nationals. It's just, like I said, for me, they're either lacking a true number one or a true number two. But outside of that, they've got a lot of guys to help out the rotation on the middle to back end. Yeah, I think that's also a really good point you just made, which is all the guys I named are mostly mid or back end starters, probably. Like, that's the projection, yeah? Somewhere in that three to five range. Some of them have much better stuff than back end, but they don't throw enough strikes. Like, that's what, you know, Hurris feels like a five and dive guy who could be overpowering for five innings. Uh, Parker's kind of in that boat as well. Parker got to AAA. The reason I mentioned those other guys, like Henry and them, is they've they've had success or based on age and kind of draft position and what they've done in the minor leagues. Like if they were wipeout awesome in the spring, and you see this with other teams sometimes, let's just say Mitchell Parker, you know, has four starts and, and gives up one run over like 17 innings or something in spring training. Like there's no reason you couldn't bring him with you. Now, I don't think that that would happen or they would, but I guess my point is they're now like a spring where they blow you away from maybe being in the mix to be in the rotation. It's also very possible. I always say, you know, God forbid they spent a little bit of money and brought in a starting pitcher 
you know, that changes the the arithmetic a little bit. But they're in a good place in terms of organizational depth. I mean, think about it, Toby. A couple of years ago, they didn't have, like, anything available when they needed someone to come up and make a start. I mean, it was just like Paolo Espino-type guys who had been kicking around organizations for 10 years throwing 88 miles an hour. So uh, they have come a long way in terms of the competition. It'd be nice if you had a couple more high-ceiling front of the rotation type arms, but maybe that'll be the next phase uh, of the development. Uh, anything else that you wanted to hit here on bust and loose baseball in our first of a couple eps this week? I, I think you're right though, with maybe you can sign somebody it'd take a lot, but there are some good starting pitchers that are going to be out there. I think Blake Snell's done. I don't know if you love him in terms of not being able to go long in games, but I mean, he might win another Cy Young award this year with how good he's been. I think Corbin Burns is going to be on the open market. So, you know, should they want to spend some money? Because I've talked about this before. Next year, they're not going to have as much cash, but Corbin comes off the books after next year. So if you want to just say, let's throw Corbin's contract. Yes, we have to double down on it next season, but we're willing to still dole out the 20 plus million dollars for a Corbin type player, hopefully a little bit better than what Corbin's been, but a Corbin type player when you signed him, Maybe they'd be willing to do that. I don't know if that's the case or not. We'll see. But there are some guys that if they wanted to go out and say, let's take a little bit of the load off Mackenzie Gore and say, like, you don't have to be the ace. Go out there and be your best self, which is probably a number two. Maybe you can get to a number one, which would be great. But if you just, you know, end up as a number two, that's fine. But we'll see. I, I think that they've got opportunities. And the nice part is, unlike years past, like you were talking about, Grant, there are options if they decide not to spend, which is very well <laughs> probably what's going to happen. If they decide not to spend, it's not the end of the world because there are options in the minor leagues. And hopefully these guys can come up and produce right away. But some of the guys have already gotten a chance in the big leagues and done well. So it's a credit to the Nationals development, credit to Rizzo and those guys, because it's a total 180 from what we saw I mean, even two years ago to what we're seeing right now, like there are people in the organization that you can at least have some faith can come up and be good big leaguers. And then you look at the top guys and you say, we might have some superstars in the organization. So it's really cool to see that. And we're getting really close to seeing some of those guys coming up here. here. He's Toby Altizer. Uh, follow him on social. Give people your Twitter and where they can find you. At Toby underscore Altizer, T-O-B-I underscore A-L-T-I-Z-E-R. I'm Grant Paulson. Grant H. Paulson is where you can find me. Uh, we need comments. We need you to rate and review. We need you to subscribe. We like to read your comments when you leave them. We haven't had one to read over the last couple of weeks, so get it in gear. Let's go here, people. We need uh, you to spread the word on Bustin' Loose Baseball as we are cruising toward episode 100 here. Uh, on top of that, though, we need you guys to uh, to give us a rating, drop the five-star rating, subscribe to the pod if you can, and uh, please uh, go ahead and leave us a comment. We will read it, say something nice, and uh, we'll read it on the podcast because we're not above that. We appreciate everybody checking us out and listening. We will, uh, we'll let you know what we're going to do this offseason, how the offseason schedule is going to work on the next podcast because uh, we're going to keep this thing going, hopefully. But uh, we need to uh, get on a schedule with you guys so we will update you next pod on that for producer darris and toby i'm grant saying so long for busting loose baseball